Do you ever watch those um, American TV programs and they start with one of these, um, here is what happened last week section before the program? Um, it's a bit of a thing of mine. I find them quite frustrating because, one, I think they treat us like goldfish because they kind of imply that we can't remember what happened a week ago. Sometimes that might be true. Um, but also, it just frustrates me because I actually do have quite a good memory and I, I find it they, they stick, they play around with the order of things. They just seem to, I don't know, it's just a jumble sometimes. And uh, I find it really unhelpful. And uh, you might wonder why I've started making comments about this. It's because we're coming to the end of our Who Is Jesus preaching series and I thought it might be good just to remind us of some of the stuff that's already been done, already been preached on as, as John and I have have together been um, working as a little tag team, haven't we, John, to preach through that series. And we've really enjoyed doing it. And I just wanted to just remind us of some of the things that we'd, we've done. And hopefully, as I had the notes of what we preached on, I won't get the order wrong either. And uh, it, we actually started way back in October. And we started by looking at John's amazing prologue uh, right at the beginning of the gospel which is like an introduction, which really almost sums up what the gospel is all about. It's all about this man, Jesus Christ. And, and uh, it was interesting that Wendy prayed about that, about he was God who was man. And um, he existed before the world was made, this man, Jesus Christ. And he was sent by earth, by God the Father, to become a man. And he was, he was on a mission, and that mission was to save men from their sins. Uh, and he could do that because he was both completely and totally God and both completely and fully man. Maybe we don't completely understand that, but that's what God's word says and that's what Jesus was. And because of that, he could save us. And then we started to look at some of the other important truths about Jesus that we picked through John. As, um, as John then went and spoke about uh, the time when uh, Jesus met with Nicodemus and about how Jesus was the the bringer of eternal life, and about the importance of spiritual rebirth, that we need to be born again if we're going to be saved. It's not an automatic thing. We need to, there needs to be a change in our life. And then, um, then we moved on. I looked at how Jesus was the bread of life and how he was the only true spiritual food that we need, the only spiritual food that would satisfy us and give us life and give us life to the full, that amazing promise. And then John looked at a, a really big subject, and we themed it as Jesus being the light of the world, but it was a, a, lot, a lot more than that. And it, if you haven't heard it, it's worth uh, listening to, but really all about Jesus really bringing the Holy Spirit and, and about being, bringing life to us and also revealing truth. And then I looked at how Jesus was the good shepherd, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, pictures of Jesus, and uh, reminding us really of his, his leadership, but a very different sort of leadership, a sacrificial leadership where Jesus gave up his life and um, how he cares for us, how he cares for us, his, his flock, his people, the church. And then finally, John uh, looked at, eventually, didn't you, John, uh, the story is Lazarus and how we were told how Jesus was the resurrection and the life. And uh, really this great pointer to what was going to happen a few days later as Jesus died on that cross and as he rose again and then how we can enjoy that eternal life. And uh, John really paints this very personal, that John's gospel I'm talking about here, a very personal picture, there's too many Johns, a very personal picture about uh, Jesus Christ, both as a man but also as someone different, you know, as God. And um, I'm going to finish the series by looking at John 15 and looking at how Jesus was the true vine. And we're going to miss out. Uh, there's a little gap there, you notice. We're going to miss one out, uh, which is a very familiar phrase where, where Jesus talks about him being the way and the truth and the life. And we would have loved to have brought that, but we, we have run out of time. And, um, you know, that fantastic statement that Jesus is the only way to God and he's the only way to salvation. And it would have been lovely to have preached on that. But I had to make a choice about what subject. And I, I prayed and I thought about it and I felt I wanted to preach on the true vine. And it's, it's partly because not only does it talk about Jesus, but it talks a lot about us. And it talks about what the effect of Jesus has on us and, and what it means 
that we have a relationship with him. So we're going we're gonna to have a look at that this morning. So, um, just to set it in context, obviously there's this long set, a uh, long set of sort of key phrases, discourse, where Jesus talks to his disciples after their last supper meal. And uh, you can imagine with Jesus, he knew what was going to happen. He knew he was going to die on that cross. He was going to be raised again. He was going to have a little time again with his disciples, but he had a very short time to really talk to them and, and really build some really important truths into their lives. And, and this passage is one of those, and it's really important. And that's why we're going to look at it together. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, John 15, we're going to start reading together from verse 1. I'll just give you a couple of seconds to find that. And then we're going to read from God's Word. Okay. And this is Jesus talking about himself. Um, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love, one and, sorry, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one, one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you, may, you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Okay, and I'm just, I'm just going to pray before we look at God's word. Yeah, Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your word. And I pray now that you will, you will be with us as we look at your word. I pray, Lord, you'll guide me to, to speak what you want to say this morning to us. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would open our heart to what you want to say. Because, Lord, I know that you love to bless us and you love to change us. You love to encourage us. You love to challenge us. You love to move us on. And, Lord, there's so much in this passage and I'm very aware, Lord, that it's, it's down to you. It's down to your spirit. And, Lord, I just pray that you will come. You will come and you will bless us and we'll come and be blessed by you. We'll be open to you. We'll let you do what you want to do. So, Lord, just come with your Holy Spirit now. Come and be with us. Come and guide us. Come and, and, and do what you want to do amongst us now this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay. Right. Okay, now, um, one, of the, one of the things about a passage like this is it's very important that we actually understand what it meant for the people that Jesus was speaking to. And obviously for 20th century uh, non-agricultural folk, vines are not particularly something we deal with very much. We like drinking wine, don't we? But we don't actually 
tend to have a lot of vines, and if we do, they're not a big thing. We don't quite have the climate for it, do we, really? Although with global warming, that might be changing. So we, but also, there's also a background to this that we may not understand or completely get to grips with because this passage would have really meant something to those first century Jews because they had their own scriptures, what basically is our Old Testament. And um, they had a lot of vine imagery in, those, in the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets. And the, when Jesus talked about being the true vine, they would have instantly known what he was talking about and what he was about. But for us, that may not have been an automatic thing. And um, the, the, in, the, in the Old Testament, the vine was really used to represent the nation of Israel, the people of God. And it was all about their role and their function as a nation and how they were meant to be fruitful, what they were meant to do, what they were meant to be, and what God expected of them. And unfortunately, particularly with the prophetic element of what they'd failed to do and what God was going to do because they hadn't done what he expected of them. And um, I went away and I thought it was good to have a look at those vine passages. So I looked at them. and There's quite a few in Isaiah and Jeremiah and some other parts of, of the Old Testament. And I, I found there were three really strong themes that came out. One was about providing justice. One was about righteousness, and one was about the call on Israel to be a blessing to the nations. And um, I'm going to read one of the prophecies in Isaiah 5, uh, 1 to 7, which really, at the end, mentions two of these, justice and righteousness. But it, it gives us a real impression of what would have come into their, the disciples' minds. So Isaiah starts with, I will sing. It's a very, it's a very poetic uh, prophecy. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower on it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah Judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it only yield bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and, I, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. See, God called Israel to be his people, and he wanted them to be different from the other nations that surrounded them, both in who they were and in what they did, and how they lived. And also in how they treated those who were weak, those who were vulnerable, those who were not able to stand up for themselves. And this is what he expected from them. And um, in this imagery of the vine, a vine is not a particularly attractive plant. It's just a green plant that then grows grapes. And it's not grown to look good, it's grown for fruit. And it's expected that a vine has a lot of fruit on it. And this was the same with Israel. They weren't chosen because God liked the look of them. He wanted them to be a different nation. He wanted to see a result. He wanted to see a change in them. He wanted them to be different. He wanted them to be an example to the other nations in the way that they treated people, particularly those that were poor, particularly those that were weak, that were vulnerable, that were um, not able to stand up for themselves. He wanted them to be a nation that lived good lives and a nation that worshipped him and only him. And, um, but they failed in that. And because of that, we read this really, almost, you know, this damning um, prophecy where he's going to just, God's just going to say, I'm going to cut that vine out. I'm going to destroy it. 
I'm going to get rid of it. Just like a farmer would do if he had some vines and, nothing, and there was no fruit from them, he would just dig them up and plant some more. And, um, but also, they weren't fulfilling their call to be a blessing to the nations. When Abraham uh, was going to sacrifice his son Isaac, and then God gave him a, la- a ram so he didn't have to do that, God came and restated his promise to Abraham that he would be a father, uh, and he would have descendants like the grain of sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. And then with that promise, he was also told that through his offspring, the nations of the world would be blessed. And you can read about that in Genesis 18. And um, we see Isaiah talking about that again in the vine imagery as we go on into Isaiah 27, verse 6, where he says, In days to come, Jacob will take root, Israel will blood and blossom, and fill all the world with fruit. You see, God never intended that Israel would keep all the blessings of being his people to themselves. His plan always was that as he blessed them, as they were fruitful, they would then impact and bless other nations of the world. But this never happened as they failed to be fruitful in justice. And you can read it right through scripture where God, through the prophets, really says, why are you not looking after the poor? Why are you not protecting the weak? and challenging them about how they were behaving. He wanted them to be different from the other nations. They were not fruitful in righteousness as they lived, no differently from the other nations, ignoring what God had told them to do, the clear teachings of his word. And um, they also failed to be a blessing to the nations. And um, this is what the disciples would have thought of as Jesus talked about being the vine as he talked about fruitfulness, this call on the nation of Israel to be fruitful, the call to live righteously, to treat each other justly, and to bring the blessings of God to the nations. And Jesus was making a really bold claim here. As he said, I am the true vine. He's saying, this is what Israel didn't do, and this is what I am going to do. I am going to bless the nations. I am that promise of Abraham. Up through... Jesus, as the offspring of Abraham, as a descendant of that man, as he laid down his life, would finally fulfill that promise and be a blessing to the nations, as he showed his love for the world on the cross, as reminded in John uh, 3, 16 and 17. And, um, And Jesus would demonstrate in his life, and then through his church, the justice and righteousness that Israel never failed to show, that he would be the example that Israel never was, that would then point the nations towards God and the blessings that he brings. And then Jesus continues that as he then talks about his disciples, about them being the branches, who would then be fruitful, demonstrating that justice and righteousness to the nations as they continued the mission of Jesus as the church. And that, of course, then comes to us here in the 20th century uh, as we then continue to, to be fruitful like Jesus. And I really want to, I want, I really want to look at that question of what it, what it means for us to be fruitful, as uh, Jesus talks about us, his disciples, being fruitful. And um, I found it quite interesting because when I was looking at this passage, there's two, two main interpretations that are that are taken of this passage. One is that when Jesus is talking about fruitfulness, that it's about fruitfulness in mission, in um, the growth of the kingdom of God. But also others uh, equally think that it's about personal fruitfulness. It's about uh, growing in maturity in Jesus Christ. And um, the two, I used two commentaries to look at John and actually each took one of those two positions. Although they did kind of recognize that there was some truth in the other position as well. I thought, oh, that's really helpful. And... um, but actually, I found it really helpful to go back to the Old Testament because when I looked at, looked at that and saw what um, the Old Testament was saying, I could see they were both right. But also, there was a bit more to it than that as well. That, yes, it is about being, about being the people of God and about being an example, but it's also about blessing the world. And I don't see it as an either-or, really, because I, I think growth in mission and growth in personal maturity in Christ actually 
fit together really well. And we actually need them both. And um, they kind of need more other. They need each other as well. And I think we're better at reaching out and we're more effective if we're growing in Christ. But also it helps us to, you know, getting involved in mission, taking risks for God, talking to our friends about Jesus helps us to grow in maturity as well. I think I grow more doing something like that than a, a lot of the other things that I could do. But also I think we can miss the bigger picture. We can miss that it's more about the kingdom of God. It's more about being, having an impact on our community. This element of justice is more about us actually being, you know, the, the salt and light kind of image as well, that we're actually, as we're being fruitful, we are affecting the community that we live in. We're affecting the places that we work, the schools that we're at, the people that we meet around us as we change, as, as we are fruitful. So I think it covers a lot more than that as well. But I think it covers all that these different guys think that it actually means. And that Jesus does expect us to grow. He does expect us to grow in him, in personal maturity. But he also expects us to, to impact our community, both in seeing people saved and added to the church, but also in just standing up for what's right and actually looking after people who, who need that help and protecting them. The church has to be a place where you know, the rights of those who are weak, the rights of those that are poor, the rights of those that are forgotten, marginalised, are also dealt with. So there's a lot that he's actually expecting of us. So I'm going to have a look in a minute about how we actually are fruitful and how that works. But before I do that, you may or may, you may, or may not have noticed in the passage, there is a bit of a tricky bit uh, where Jesus talks about branches that are actually not fruitful and that they're burnt. And um, they're thrown into the fire because that's all they're good for. And um, that's, that does cause a bit of concern and worry. It does cause a bit of confusion because some will interpret that as meaning that Christians can then can slip away in their faith, that um, you can lose connection with Jesus and actually become not fruitful, but also lose your faith. That's it. And I, I, I struggle with that. And I think some writers find this quite a difficult passage. But I think this is not what Jesus was talking about. I think he was talking about whether you were a disciple or not. And um, it's very easy for people to think that they are Christians. I mean, maybe, I think it's just as true now, but it certainly was when I was younger, that um, you, a lot of folk just think they're Christians because... They're born in Britain. I, I'm British, or at least if they're you know, not from a different background. Um, therefore, I'm a Christian. Or they may feel that they're a believer because they go to church or they do certain things. Uh, but it's not about that. It's about relationship. It's about being born again. It's about repentance. It's about coming to Jesus and saying, look, I... Lord Jesus, I recognize the fact that I have sinned, that I cannot save myself, that my only, the only way I'm going to be saved is through a relationship with you and that you need to be my Lord and my Savior. And I think what Jesus is really talking about is relationship. That's what this whole passage is about. And um, I think the question of whether someone is a believer or not, well, that's really between God and them. And to a degree, we don't know. And I think what, God, what Jesus is talking about is that there may be some there is a danger of thinking you're sorted, you're sorted with God, that there's nothing you have to do. But actually, it is about a relationship with me. And he's saying, if you've got a relationship with me, you will be fruitful. And I'm going to, come and I'm going to talk about that a bit more in a minute. So I hope I haven't confused you with that question. Uh, and it's, it's not an easy question to understand, and different people have different views on it. And I... I just wanted, I didn't want to kind of miss it out in case uh, anyone didn't understand that. But it, what I think it really reminds us is, is the most important thing is that we need to have a relationship with Jesus and that we need to be born again. And um, what that means is that when we have that relationship with Jesus, he changes us from the inside and then the fruit is the result of that inward change as we then see what he does inside of us. 
So I want to look now at how actually we are, we, we are fruitful, how we stay fruitful, and looking really at what Jesus does in us and what we can do as well. And uh, I've already kind of talked about this a bit, but the most important thing is that we, that we remain in Jesus. That is the most important truth. It's very simple. It's not difficult to understand. Um, but the key thing here is that we can't be fruitful through what we do. It's about Jesus. And um, in Galatians 5, Paul talks about what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Very familiar verses. And he talks about the fruit of the Spirit as being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's useful, isn't it? Because in, in the name of what it is, the fruit of the Spirit, there's a clue to how we become fruitful. And it's not about what we do. It's about who we know. It's about the Holy Spirit. And we know that when we become a Christian, when we give our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And, um, and it's as we cooperate with what the Holy Spirit does in us as we, that we then grow and we become fruitful. Not through activity, although the things that we do for Jesus are good. Not through doing the right things, although that's a good thing. But it's by allowing Jesus to change us and grow us and what we're meant to be fruitful branches of the vine. And the key to that is obedience. It's all about obedience, isn't it? That as we do what Jesus says, as we, as we focus on what he wants rather than what we want to do, then we grow. And it's all about relationship, isn't it? It's not about what we do. It's all about being, being connected to Jesus, who is the source of any lasting growth, of any change any real change in our life. Okay, and then we come on to the next thing, which I think is going to be really popular, which is the subject of pruning. And um, I was thinking about that. We have a, a plum tree in our garden. And um, every year, after we've picked all the plums, we prune back the tree. So what was out there ends up being like this. And um, the idea is obviously to keep it bushy, to get new growth so that it's more fruitful every year. And generally that happens. Um, not, not when you have so much fruit that one of the branches breaks off and you have to chop half the tree off. But that's, that's another issue. But basically, the tree, the more you prune it, the more fruit you end up with the next year. And um, that's what God does with us. But it's not actually something we necessarily welcome or enjoy. And it's um, because pruning is really where God uses. It talks about God's word pruning us. It talks about God's word cleaning us. But it also, the main way that God does this is through life, through circumstances, through, through trials, through difficulties, through things we'd actually rather not happen to us. Think we'd rather have the easy life, wouldn't we? Well, maybe you guys are better than me, but I wouldn't want that. And, uh, but what happens is when God uses those things to, to cut away and remove the old growth so that the new growth can come through. That old growth may not even be a bad thing, but God just uses that. And um, there's, a, there's a passage in Hebrews 12, 11, where, where um, the writer of that, that book talks about God's discipline. And he talks about the fact that it's not very pleasant at the time. And in fact, it can be very painful. But he also talks about how that then produces what he calls a harvest of righteousness and peace, which is something that we can welcome. And um, I suppose I, I'll talk very personally, really. But my, my response is, I, I think when I think about this subject is I know that God often produces the, the biggest change in me and seems to do more in my life through things that I'd rather not happen to me, things that I haven't enjoyed. And um, it seems to be then that he, he comes and exposes things that need to be dealt with. And I don't like it. And I don't suppose we're meant to like it, really. But, you know, it is a good thing. And at least maybe I've got to the point in my Christian life where I can sort of say, eventually... Thank you, God, for that, because that's done that in my life. And I can see that change. And I've seen it in other people as well. I've seen how 
God uses things which you would not want to happen to people or particularly, but he's, you, we actually grow through that. And uh, it's good to know that the pruning's there for a good reason. And uh, it helps us maybe not to expect uh, our Christian life necessarily to be uh, a garden of uh, roses. It's got thorns in it, hasn't it? But actually, those things come because God wants us to be fruitful and because he wants to bless us. Okay, so that was the nice one. And then next, I'm going to talk about the subject of prayer and about praying in the name of Jesus. And uh, Jesus doesn't often say things twice. And uh, when he does, I think we have to take notice of it. And twice, he talks in this passage about that if we remain in him, whatever we ask in his name, he will do for us. And uh, we have to be careful with promises like this. Um, you know, it's very easy to, um, to look at this as a kind of name it and claim it promise. You know, you can come along to Jesus and grab him like this. Grab him on his back and say, right, Jesus, you're going to do what I want. I don't think that's what he meant. I hope that's not what he meant. Um, and there's a condition in it. He talks about remaining in him, and there's a lot implied in that. Because it means we, that means we have to have a relationship with him. And, then, and to have a relationship with him, that works best through obedience. That, that works best when we've got what he wants in the front of our mind, not what we want. And um, we have to have that in balance with when, we, when, we get a, when we look at a promise like that. But there's a fantastic promise in there as well, because as he talks about prayer, it is such, it's such a, a key to breakthrough and to growth, whether that be as an individual or as a church. And um, I think it's a fantastic promise, and I don't want to kind of just brush over it, really. And that's one of the reasons why, as a church, we want to push prayer. And we're kind of coming to a season now where we're going to have more, more prayer, meet- prayer meetings in the week. And uh, we forgot to say, actually, we're going to be praying tonight. And, um, you know, we want to be praying more so that we can impact our community, so that we can touch people's lives, so that we can see people being saved, so that we can grow as a church, so that we can change. We want more of us praying. We want to pray more. And uh, it's such a key to fruitfulness. And I think particularly prayer is really for for God. God is, is a tool that God gives us so that we can break through, so that we can pray into things that maybe we're not seeing anything happen. And we can come before him and we can just, you know, grab hold of him. And his heart is he wants to do that anyway. But somehow he uses prayer, doesn't he, for that. So it's a real route for fruitfulness. And okay, my, and my last thing I want to look at is really what he really talks about in the whole of the second half of this passage, which is about loving one another. And um, he encourages the disciples to love one another. And he, he does that by reminding them of his own example of how Jesus was effective because he loved the Father and he did what the Father wanted. And because of that, they could follow that example. And he talks about laying that, that fantastic picture of how a, a friend lays down his life for his friend. And he's, he's really pointing to what he's going to do, not very long from any speaking, as he goes to the cross, as he lays down his life for them. And that's the example he wants them to follow. And, you know, there are all sorts of um, strategies and ways that we can grow the church and good stuff. But actually, they only work if that church is built on love. And, um, you know, we need to love one another. And uh, if we want to see our our lives being fruitful, it's such a a route for growth in the church. And that might mean us doing some things we don't want to do. And it might mean us having to sacrifice our time or energy for one another or not as well. But there's something about the power of unity. There's something about the power of love where God really uses that to, as, a, as a channel to bring growth in a church. But again, as really in the first point, it's about relationship. It's not about what we do. It's about our relationship with each other. And... Um, That's what this whole vine imagery is all about. It's all about relationship. It's all about 
us being in Jesus, and then in Jesus together, we are fruitful. Okay. So this morning, we've looked at Jesus as the true vine, and uh, with us as the branches that that bear fruit. We've looked at, at what it means to be fruitful. It's about personal growth in maturity in Christ. We've learned it's about um, bringing justice. It's about affecting our community, standing up for what's right. But it's also about the growth of the kingdom of God through mission and, and really sharing the blessings that we've received and with the outside of the church. And then we've, we've looked at how Jesus helps us to stay fruitful, how, how the key is about relationships, about our relationship to Jesus. And we've looked at pruning We've looked at how God uses the circumstances of life to grow us, trials and difficulties. And uh, we've also seen about the importance of prayer and that God brings breakthrough through prayer and, and fruitfulness. But, and also about how we love one another and how as we, as we live out being a community, people see that and that has an impact because people can see when we really love one another. And uh, I just want to finish by really giving us three Three kind of encouragements, three kind of truths that, that I think if we, if we remember them will help us in staying fruitful. Excuse me a minute. Okay, and the first one is about our expectations and that we need to expect to be fruitful. Now, um, I think our, our culture as British people but also our church culture and maybe our own experiences uh, are not always helpful when we think about the subject of growth. Um, we, we may not expect the church to grow. And I mean, I think if some of us, if we've been around a few years, we may have experienced kind of where we've looked at a particular strategy for church growth and we thought, yes, that's, it. that's the answer, you know, cell groups or, or whatever it is. And there's been great promises made that if we do this, the church is going to grow and we're going to see great change. And then maybe that hasn't happened. Maybe it's had an impact, but it hasn't quite had the impact we were expecting. And um, the problem with that is we get disappointed or, and we can tend to become cynical. And we can tend to think, OK, I believe the church is going to grow in Africa, in India, in Leeds, in Bradford, in in uh, Belfast, but not in Billingshurst, not in Billingshurst. And I'll be honest, you know, sometimes that thought goes through my mind. And um, we, need to, we need to deal with that. And I think the problem is we tend to, to default to go for kind of fads and quick fixes. You know, we see, we don't see uh, the church growing in the way we want. And we try this and we try that. And the danger with that is it can build up excitement but there's no lasting change. And yet, we know that real change just generally only takes time, doesn't it? It takes time for us to change. It takes time for God to work in people's lives. It takes time for God to, to bring real change in our community and our culture. And uh, the Bible talks about that. It talks about one day we'll suddenly see change growing. And the kingdom of God coming out and breaking out in different places. And uh, it takes time and it takes energy and it can take years. I can think about a guy I prayed for for years and years and years before he became a Christian. And there's other people I'm still praying for. And God willing that they will come to know Jesus. And um, we also need to remember that it's about the sovereignty of God. He brings the change. All Jesus says to us is that we will be fruitful. It doesn't say how much. I mean, obviously, he wants it to be a lot. But actually, we don't know how much that's going to be. And that's not our job. Our job is just to obey him and cooperate with him and expect growth. But I want to encourage us. I don't want to go on the, the power of positive thinking. If we think we're going to be fruitful, we will. That's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus has told us that we will be fruitful. And I trust him. So please expect to be fruitful. And then also I think we need to know who we are. Because there's an amazing statement where Jesus in this passage says, you are my friends. 
that we're not, and he talks, and the reason he's talking about that is we're not slaves, we're not, we're not minions of Jesus who are just told, you're going to go off and do this, you're going to do that, and you don't know why. He's talking about we will know what he's about, we will know his business, we will know his plans. And it's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's, it's something that I think we forget sometimes. That we are on a mission with Jesus. That he tells us what he's doing. That he helps us to do it. That we're involved with him. It's a privilege. He doesn't have to do that with us. We have no right for that to happen in our lives. There's nothing about us that makes us you know, good enough for that. But he does that. We are part of what he's doing. And it helps us if we know who we are. We are the people of God. We are on a mission with him. We have a purpose. We are his friends. We are co-workers with Christ. We're on his team. You know, that is an incredible thing, isn't it? And because of that, we know we'll be fruitful because we're doing it with him. And then lastly, and I, I finally I come to what we do. And we do need to make an effort. We need to make every effort we can to stay close to Jesus. Because if, if you get nothing else from what I say this morning, the, the key message of this passage is that everything that we are, all that we achieve, all that we can ever do is dependent on our relationship with Jesus. It only happens if we are in him, if we remain in him. Because he is the source of all spiritual growth. That man, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, he's it. There's no other place we can go. There's no other thing that we can do. It's not our effort. It's not who we are. It's not how clever we are. It's not about the things that we do. It's not about what we think. It's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. It's too simple. I don't know how to talk about it, really. But it's just too simple. But the key thing is, is our relationship with him. He's got to be our, our number one priority. And I I was thinking about this. We've all, we all live busy lives, don't we? There's lots of things we have to do. There's lots going on in our lives. There's lots of demands on our time. Responsibilities that we have for family, for work, whatever. You know, in the church as well. And it, it is hard to keep our relationship with Jesus fresh. It is hard to stay close to him with, with all these urgent, important things flooding in all the time. It's not easy. And I was thinking, well, what do I say? And actually, it is actually, it's about time. It's about making an effort. You know, the way we stay close to Jesus is it's really simple stuff. It's spending time in his word. It's prayer. It's just, it's just a slog sometimes. It's not always easy. And, um, you know, but if we want God to reveal his truth to us, if we want God to refresh us, if we want... Jesus to to bring change in our life. We've got to spend time with him and uh, we've got to make that important. And I'm so aware when, when I talk about something like this, it's so easy to get legalistic. Uh, we, we were chatting in the car coming back from Lewis and we were talking about box ticking. And uh, it's, it's important not to, not to see this kind of thing as box ticking. It's not that uh, before I go to work every, every day that I must do my time in God's word and and pray, because then it just gets dry, doesn't it? And it's got to be about relationship. It's got to be about wanting to, to grow in Jesus. And it's not about making your church leaders happy. God forbid. It's got to be, although I can hear Ben making comments there. Um, it's all about building our relationship with Jesus, putting our roots in him so that we can grow. And I can't tell you how to do that for yourself. Because what works for me, what works for, for someone else, might not work for you. For some of us, we grow closer to God through quiet times of reading and study. Some of us, it might be going for a walk and enjoying God's creation and, and talking to God and prayer. Um, some of us, we grow best through worship. Some of us grow best through, through meditation. Other people, that just doesn't work for them. And, and you've really got to find your way to grow close to God. And, you've got some, you know, and some of you will have great big huge chunks of time. Not many of you. Some of you have great big huge chunks of time where you can go away and, and have a great time of, of uh, 
getting close to God. I'm very jealous of you, actually. Um, but I don't know whether I'd do it very well if I did have that time. Um, some, some may only have a few minutes here and there where you just have to snatch time with Jesus. And, uh, you know, there's grace there. Just make use of what you've got, because that's what God's given you for now. And I can't tell you how to do it. I can't tell you when to do it. And I can't come along and remind you to do it. I have enough trouble doing it for myself. But all I can say is we need to do it. We need to spend time with Jesus. And we need to keep working at that relationship. Keep plugging away. And every word I've just said, I say it most of all for me as well. So please don't get the wrong message there. And um, I suppose before I sort of move off from that, it's very important that we don't get um, our service for the Lord, or the stuff that we do in the church, mixed up with this. Because actually that's the stuff we do afterwards. That's the stuff we do because we have a relationship with Jesus. Because he then calls us and encourages us to, to work out that growth through the things that we do. Uh, I thought Nigel Dutton just put it really well, that we need to make sure that the work of the Lord never becomes more important than the Lord of the work. And I'm not saying we all stop serving so we can get closer to God. But I am saying that has to be your number one priority. That's got to be the most important thing. If we want to grow, we need to spend time with him. Okay. I'm nearly done now. You'll be glad to hear. Um, I suppose the, the last thing I need to say is, really, is it is all about relationship. It's all about a relationship with Jesus. And uh, that's what we're really talking about this morning. And um, we're going to have a bit of time in ministry. That's what we're going to be focusing on in a minute. And I was just aware there may be some here who, who maybe when I've spoken about the need to be born again, who maybe realize that maybe they haven't got that sorted out in your life yet. You, you, need, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And, um, you know, you, you know, you're kind of beginning to recognize there's something you need to do. Uh, you need to, to deal with your with issues that you've got in your life is sin. You need, you need that relationship with Jesus. And I just want to say there's an opportunity now if you want to do something about that. Or maybe there's some things we're going to do in the weeks to come in the church, you know, that you'll be able to get involved with uh, to, get, to know a bit more about what that means. It may be you're not quite ready. And I just want to give you a chance to, to really think about that because it is important. We do need to have a relationship with Jesus. And I want to talk to all of us, really, and say that is the most important thing. That's, I hope if, if you've got anything else from what's been said this morning, that our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. So I think it would be good if we, if we stand now. And I, I just want to give us a chance to respond. Um, and I'm going to pray. Yeah, Father God, I'm very aware that that you want to, that you really love us and that um, you want to do some stuff amongst us now. You've already done a lot this morning, Lord. It's already been great to enjoy your presence and worship you. It's already been good to enjoy uh, you reminding us of your love and your presence amongst us. And Lord, I want to pray now, Lord, that you will speak to hearts. Lord, I want to pray for those who maybe have been disappointed, where maybe there's, you are frustrated that there are things that you thought God was going to do and he hasn't done yet. That maybe there are, there are friends, family, neighbours who you want to see saved who haven't been saved. That there are um, things that you thought God was going to do through you that haven't happened yet. Things that God has put on your heart you haven't seen happen yet change that that just hasn't happened lord and i want to pray for that disappointment lord i want to pray lord for you to start to break that now i want to pray lord that you will remind us that you have called us to be fruitful and that lord it's not about us it's about you it's about what you can do i want to pray lord for those who maybe have just been challenged because they they don't have a relationship with you yet and yet actually that's something they want god i want to pray lord that you would reveal yourself for those folk now, Lord. I pray that you, in your, in your gentle love, will just show those folk that there is a way 
that you are the way, that you are the answer. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll come amongst us now, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, for for fresh vision and also freshening of old vision this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you'll be putting things on people's hearts now, Lord, that you want to do, that you'll be reminding them of areas of fruitfulness, Lord. And I want to pray that you will come amongst us now. And Lord, I want to ask for your Holy Spirit. I want to welcome your Holy Spirit here now, Lord. Come and touch hearts. Come and touch us now, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I've asked Sam to um, just come and bring a, a few songs and help us to focus on God. But I want to give us all a chance as well to respond to what I've said this morning. And um, there's nothing particularly special about coming forward. You can respond to God now. But sometimes I think it just helps us, doesn't it, just to, to make that sort of step, just come that few feet, not worrying about what anyone else thinks. Um, but if God has spoken to you, if maybe there's issues of disappointment that you need to deal with, or um, perhaps you're disappointed even with yourself because you haven't quite grabbed hold of what God wants you to do, then there's a chance now to come and respond. Don't do it unless you feel God's touched you. But if you have, it's worth doing. It's good to do that. And uh, maybe you just want a touch of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just want, you just want, you just felt it's all got a bit dry. It's all got a bit cold. The relationship's not there anymore. You don't feel the connection with Jesus. And, and we can all feel like that from time to time. Well, there's, 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 Jesus wants to come and restore that relationship, that sense of connection with you again. And uh, just come and get prayed for. So, so let's just do that now. Let's just respond to what God wants to do. Let's not lot hold back. Don't be embarrassed. Don't don't worry about what anyone else thinks. You know, if God has, has put something on your heart, come and respond now. Come and let him minister to you. Come and, and enjoy that relationship with Jesus. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants us to grow. He wants us to change. And he can do it. It's not about us. He can do it. So come now and enjoy that.